Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Well, hello, Ginghamsburg family. I am so excited that you all are here, whether it's your first time or your 757th time, I believe that all of us are here in this room and joining us online for a purpose. We are destined to be here together today. And I happen to believe that you wanna live your best life. Like you wanna get up every day and say, okay, this is life, this is real life, and you wanna be really excited about it. Can I get an amen? Yeah, we want to live a legacy. Now, just last weekend, Easter weekend, I was sharing with you a little story about how I was hiking one day at Charleston Falls, one of my favorite places, and I saw these two little girls, and they were just like merrily on their way, and they were running, and they were talking about their fears. And I wanted to get in on the conversation, you know, tell them that I'm afraid to fail, that, that I want to live a life that matters, so I want to lean into my purpose and my passion, but I figured that's a lot to put on a couple of seven-year-olds, right? And so I didn't say a word, but there's another part to that story. You know how you're kind of doing a thing and you're all caught up in your head and you're just walking and maybe you're at the grocery store, maybe you're getting ready to go to work, whatever it is, when suddenly you look up and you see someone you recognize. So I looked up and I saw this woman. I thought, I think this is a a woman who I just did her daughter's funeral. She died of cancer. And I thought, is that her? And sure enough, I called out her name and it was her. And so we started talking right there along the trail and and she was telling me, you know, Rachel, I am sad every single day, but I know I gotta live every single day. You talk about profound. Right there, we're having church right there in the trail. And so we're talking and before I knew it, like 20 minutes had passed. And even though I was in a hurry to get to my car, I didn't get where I needed to be on time. But as I left her and was walking to my car, I said, God, you are funny. You are so funny. I'm all worried about my purpose and my passion and I get to do what you have called me to do right on the stinking trail, right? I mean, that's what I'm called to do. Calling human beings, ordinary people, to take that next step in their faith journey, even when life isn't easy. Brothers and sisters, we all have a purpose. And what is my purpose? Well, that question we wrestle with on the regular. Sometimes it's confusing, unclear. We're not exactly sure if we're doing what God created us to do. And brothers and sisters, we're going to lean into that question today. We're going to do it by diving into the lives of two Old Testament prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Now, Elijah and Elisha have been through a whole lot, and they lean into their purpose and their passion. Sometimes it's nice to like see people who've been there, done that, live to write about it. And today we're going to be looking at the Old Testament. Now I need to do a little disclaimer here. Sometimes when we read Old Testament stories, we can be like, well, that was interesting, right? I mean, it can be a little confusing. And so we're going to try to stay out of the weeds, but I'm going to imagine that you're going to have great questions. And so I want you, those of you online, to type those questions, questions, questions in the chat And then if you just want to see me an email, rachel at ginghamsburg.org, I will do my very best to answer your question or at least point you to a place where you can get that question answered for yourselves. And today we're going to start 
with the Elijah and a story of triumphal victory. Elijah is a prophet of God. And when I say a prophet of God, sometimes we think about people who are like telling the future. Well, he's less fortune teller and more bullhorn for the Lord. Elijah is this prophet and he's one of the major prophets, but he is a little bit all over the place. One day he's on the mountaintop, like experiencing just victory. And the next day, literally, he is huddled up in the fetal position under a broom tree. Elijah's kind of like one of us. Can I get an amen? I mean, this is our human experience. And I believe we're going to see ourselves in the Bible. And I love that stuff. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles and your Bible apps and turn to me, with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, 1 and 2 Kings are really just two parts of a one-volume set. I mean, that's how they were, they were written. And we get this front row seat of Elijah living inside his purpose. Now, he's attempting to help God's people stay in love with God and with one another. But brothers and sisters, it gets a little bit rocky. God's people have decided that they're more interested in being ruled by a king like every other neighboring nation than depending on God. And you can imagine that when the, God's people put their trust in a human being for their safety and security, it doesn't go so well. So God's people are being ruled by a king. And this time, King Ahab, who's terrible, and his wife, Jezebel. Jezebel is basically his co-partner in this deal. And they are pulling God's people away from God and to other foreign gods like Baal. Now we encounter Elijah today when he is doing his best. So let's read together 1 Kings chapter 18. We're gonna be starting with verse 20. Church, you with me? Yeah. So Ahab went, uh, sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the, am I the only one of the Lord's prophets left? But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you will call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. It's gonna be good today, right? I mean, this is such a fascinating story. God's people, they have gotten off track. They are supposed to be living for God and yet they have gone sideways. Look into the kings and the cultures around them to take their cues. And brothers and sisters, when we get all off track, sometimes all hell breaks loose. Now, doesn't it feel kind of like that these days? Pandemic problems, relationship issues, family sickness, rumors of wars, wars, all things chaos around us. I mean, sometimes it feels like we are living our own version of hell these days. And that's exactly where God's people were in this story. Everything has gotten off track. They're living their own kind of version of hell. And sometimes it's been self-imposed. And one of the reasons they're living this way is because they've decided to grab on to an idol instead of God. Now, idols, as they are described in the Old Testament, are like foreign gods like Asherah and Baal here. But don't get me wrong. In 2022, we have our own version of idols. Humans, habits, addiction, things that we just like to hold on to. And although they might feel 
wonderful in the moment. They bring death in the long run. Brothers and sisters, we have idols in our lives. Now, I imagine some of you are saying, wait, 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 pastor, that's not me. I don't have any idols in my life. I'm good, I'm good. But brothers and sisters, let me remind us that there are so many things in our lives that we just wanna hold on to. Uh, Let's think about this for a moment. It can be as simple as that wine subscription in your life. Your inability to not scroll through TikTok every hour, every day. Perhaps it's a little deeper than that. It's that toxic relationship that you don't want to let go of. It's your title at work. It's that the amount of money in your bank account, you hold on with all your might because that's what you're looking for when it comes to your safety and your security. But let's go back to what the Bible tells us. Elijah was saying to God's people, verse 21, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now, a verse like this can feel like an invitation into dualism. It's this or that, right or wrong. You're either for God or against God. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that God is asking us not to live a duplicitous life. I mean, God's pretty clear about what God and who God wants us to worship. If we go back to the first of the two Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 6, you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall, bow down, you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Pretty intense scripture, right? But there's a difference between dualism and what I believe Elijah is describing here as a divided heart. Do you know how difficult it is to divide your heart when it comes to God? Imagine with me like that our heart is a steering wheel, you know, like Jesus take the wheel, you know, like that, right? And so you give Jesus control of your life. You give Jesus control of your heart. But then you say, Jesus, you got it, except when I want to be in this relationship. Except when I, I need to make a little bit more money. Except when I want to do this habit that, you know, Jesus, it's just a little bit of an unhealthy habit. No, I want to hold on to this idol in my life. And so you give that idol an opportunity to steer. You know, what happens when someone else is trying to steer and when you're driving? Like the passenger just like reaches over and grabs the wheel. All hell breaks loose, Right. Brothers and sisters, it is an, a good way to wreck the car, but it's even a better way to wreck your life. Now, oh, several weeks ago, I was hanging out with my kids in the Hawking Hills. This is where I'm from. And we were driving some of these really back roads and I was going a little quickly and my kids were getting on me about it. And they were like, mom, you are going so fast on these hills and these curves. And I said, kiddos, this is where I learned to drive. And it took me back to my driver's ed days. One day I was driving with the driver instructor and I could tell I was making her a little nervous. And so she kept like kind of like, you know, calmly saying, maybe you should slow down. And I was just like taking the curves, right? And finally, she did what? Not yank the wheel. She hit her brake and stopped the car completely. But she knew it would do no good to jerk the wheel. Why? Because it's dangerous when someone else has control of the car. Brothers and sisters, 
We can't live with our hearts divided. We got to give our whole hearts, our whole lives over to Jesus. Literally, Jesus, take the wheel. This invitation from Elijah and from God is to live a wholehearted life. Now, brothers and sisters, when I say wholehearted, I'm not saying like, look, you're gonna be perfect. You're never gonna make any mistakes. You gotta pick yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps. You gotta get it all together, you know, just make it work. No, I'm saying you gotta surrender it all to God and recognize that your identity, first and foremost, is a beloved child of the living God. I love the way that Brene Brown says this in The Gifts of Imperfection. She writes, wholehearted living is about engaging with our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage and compassion and connection to wake up in the morning and think no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm enough. Now turn to your neighbor and say it like you mean it. (laughs) I'm enough. I'm enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I'm imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that I am brave and worthy of love and belonging. You are brave. You are worthy of love and belonging. Why? Because just like we sang, we are beloved children of God. We're no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. That's who God says you are. And I happen to have this strong belief that if everybody operated out of that identity, all heaven would break loose. Brothers and sisters, that's who we are. And when we share our identity, not just bottle it up with ourselves, but share it with the people around us, well, then we start pointing people to God. Point people to God. That was Elijah's purpose. And frankly, that's our purpose as well. We are called to be this spiritual bridge between what is and what can be in people's lives. We're called to live fully alive. Love what Irenaeus, a church father said, the glory of God is a person fully alive. Not minimizing, not like saying like, I'm not enough, but rather living fully into our God purpose. The kingdom of heaven coming from heaven to earth. Us embracing the God power, the Holy Spirit within. Now I'm inspired by the boldness of Elijah. Elijah is face-to-face with these 450 prophets and he decides to do this little test. Now I imagine that as we read through the scripture, it can sometimes seem a little confusing, confusing because you know, we don't exactly offer sacrifices to gods anymore, idols anymore. But back in the day, 3,000 years ago, this was a regular practice to honor and respect your God. And so Elijah says, you get all the things ready and you call down a fire for your God and we'll see what happens. And I'll do the same thing. And whoever wins well is God. And so they're like, game on, we'll try it. So they do it. And these prophets try. And this is what the scripture tells us. But they called upon the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy. Honestly, that word for busy in the Hebrew is he's going to the bathroom, but whatever. (laughs) Traveling, maybe. I mean, smack talk right in the scripture, I'm telling you. But he is sleeping, must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears. And, and that was their custom until their blood flowed. 
Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifices. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now these prophets of Baal were attempting to manipulate their God. They were screaming and, and, and yelling and dancing and self-mutilating, hoping beyond hope that Baal would answer them. Does Baal answer them? Absolutely not. Because they're trying to manipulate in order to get what they want. Now we wouldn't do a thing like that ever, right? How often do we find ourselves trying to manipulate God? If we just do enough, say enough, pray enough, cry enough, beg enough, then God has to answer me. How many times have you found yourself stomping or, or shouting or screaming or even threatening to harm yourself because you want something from God? Maybe just maybe we have an idle understanding of our Lord. Brothers and sisters, our God is not a God that's going to be manipulated. I want you to contrast the manipulation of the prophets of Baal with what Elijah does in this moment. After pouring water over everything, the altar, the wood, three times, he digs a trench, three times he pours water over. And then we read this. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and burned up a sacrifice, the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the soil. And it also licked up the water and the trench. Then all the people saw this and they fell prostrate and cried out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Friends, I am a sucker for a great fire, right? I mean, you, can you imagine what this was like? The fire of the Lord raining down and burning the whole daggone thing up. Not because Elijah danced or manipulated God, but because God, Elijah got centered in that identity that they had deep within. You are God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, sometimes we call Israel Jacob. And we, we're your people. So do what only you can do, God. He just centers himself and he prays from within and then all heaven breaks loose, literally fire from heaven. And it's clear, God is God. Now, brothers and sisters, I'd like to think that that's how we respond in every moment of crisis in our life. When we're trying to figure it all out, life out, our purpose out, that we just get calm and quiet and centered. But it doesn't always work that way. A couple of weeks ago, our family received news that I wasn't even expecting to receive. Our youngest daughter, Sarah, had some issues with her eyes, so we took her to a pediatric ophthalmologist. And we expected, honestly, for the ophthalmologist to say that she had cataracts. But that's not what the ophthalmologist said. Sarah's being tested for a genetic disorder. And when I heard that news, um, I was a pretty much a hot, holy mess, right? I was frustrated and crying and just kind of asking God, like, okay, what on earth is going on here? It was out of the blue. And so, you know, I just got centered and prayed. No, I did not. <laughs> I started calling friends like, oh my gosh, this is what's going on. 
And later that night, I had a friend say to me, Rachel, just breathe. And that felt like an invitation. Like the Lord was saying to me, you know what to do here. And so John and I, we were in the basement and I asked him to put worship music, Maverick City worship on the TV. And I said, we just need to worship. And so I just started worshiping. I just sat on the floor and cried and worshiped and just said, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. This is what you want. Jesus, take the wheel. Because I certainly am not in control of this situation. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what it is that you're going through. I don't know how you're wrestling with your God purpose, but I know this, that it does no good for you to throw a fit. What have you just surrendered? And said, God, I trust you. I trust you. Friends, we all have a purpose. This is what I know. You all have a God-given purpose. It is within you. I love the quote from Frederick Buchner that says, your vocation in your life is where your greatest joy meet the world's greatest need. Your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. So what does it look to operate out of that? To look within and say, God, what's in there? How have you called me? How have you created me and crafted me to meet the world's greatest need? Friend, maybe you need someone to call that out of you. Sometimes we, we get in life groups and maybe you have a life group and someone in your life group can say, oh my gosh, you are on fire for Jesus and I see this in you and you need to just lean into that more. Or maybe, just maybe, you've never experienced that and you, you need to figure it out. Well, we've got something for you. Ministries by Strength is a group that we offer here at Ginghamsburg to help you discover your God purpose. How has God uniquely created you? We have a class on Wednesday night that actually meets in the balcony rooms. And we also have an online version of this class on Wednesday night as well. So go to gigamsterd.org slash classes and get signed up today. We want you thriving. We want you living out of your God purpose. Because when you do, you become a person who's living fully alive. Get honest with yourself. Are you living fully alive? living into that God purpose? Well, today I want to introduce you to someone who is. Cheryl Bender has served as the executive director of Clubhouse for 31 years, pouring into teens through an after-school uh, development program, and she has been absolutely amazing. She's allowed the fire of God to burn through her. I want you to give Cheryl a warm welcome. years living out of your God purpose. Now, 31 years ago, how did you figure that out? How did you figure out your purpose? Well, it was probably more than 31 years ago. <laughs> but, um, you know, I wouldn't be who I am today if it wasn't for other people pouring into me, yeah. my family, my church. And just the experiences that this church has given me through the years is amazing to help me understand my faith to listen to God, that I can question God, that I have a unique purpose. I mean, I think that's all kind of like simple, yeah. but I think it's really important for us as a church to realize we pour into other people. And for me to have people believing in me, yeah. that was so powerful. And as a teen, I was given the opportunity to lead a small group of 
of other teens and to um, help design events and programs and all that kind of stuff. It helped me develop purpose. I could rule out some things that I didn't like, like speaking on this big stage. <laughs> Not something I really love to do, but I know that I needed to. I'm truly a shy, awkward um, person, and so being on this stage is really a struggle sometimes. Um, but I know that all of those, those things and going on trips to get out of my comfort zone and not just to hear stories of people who struggle with social injustice, but to see those people yeah. and to hear their stories, hear them tell their stories. It just lit a passion in me and brought such joy to know that maybe I can make a difference. And so, um, that's kind of my, where it started. Um, my purpose is working with youth in the same way that people poured into me. Yeah, I love that. So Cheryl, you have this God purpose. Why Clubhouse? Why live it out through Clubhouse? Oh, well, yikes, sweet Jesus. Um, I'm just <laughs> going to tell you that a lot of listening, a lot of trying things out, but why Clubhouse? Puzzle pieces coming together. I was at the University of Dayton in the clinical psych program, um, working on my master's degree, and I was an intern therapist, and I was sitting with a 14-year-old who was pregnant for the second time. Mm. And as I was listening to her, literally the room stopped. And God, you know, I know you guys don't believe me, but God literally came into the room, and in seconds, I had this understanding that what I was doing was putting clinical band-aids on her wounds. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to really share my faith in that setting, and in those seconds, I knew that I was here on earth to do more. Mm. I needed to share with young people Jesus, yeah. plain and simple Jesus. And it wasn't about me. It was about building up um, the kingdom of God. And, you know, days after that experience, I had to really search, why did God come to me yeah. in that moment? And what did, what did he want me to experience? And I wasn't really finding anything, but a couple weeks after that, a, somebody asked if I would be interested in doing this thing called Clubhouse. They needed a director. And I just knew it was God opening a door for me to be able to pour into teens and develop them like I had been developed in their leadership. And so at Clubhouse, teens mentor kids. And... You know, those spiritual band-aids, well, those, band those clinical band-aids that God said I shouldn't put on, in Clubhouse, I could put on spiritual band-aids of kids and neighborhoods that it was rough. Yeah. It was rough for them. And so those, the teens run Clubhouse, and through me training them, we're putting band-aids and love and relationships into kids. 
And that's my purpose. That's why Clubhouse, because somebody gave me those things, and plus that got it. I mean, I just had to listen to God. That's so awesome. So. That's so awesome. It's interesting to me. You all know, you probably have maybe people in your own life, maybe some of your kids were part of Clubhouse over these years. And it's amazing to me to see the rippling effect of Clubhouse. In fact, recently we had someone reach out to us who was not even an intern, just a person hanging out doing media and had this profound effect on his life. And he wanted to share with us about it. Let's watch. Uh, my name's Josh Jones. Um, I work for uh, the Power Agency in Louisville, Kentucky, and I um, manage their development and digital uh, teams. I first joined Clubhouse as a, as a team volunteer. The big thing that I started with was really, um, they used to do these like Christmas overnights um, where all the kids would come to the church and they would spend the night and they would get to wake up and have presents in the morning, um, which didn't always happen um, at, at home. And using some of that, uh, you know, gifting that I had with, you know, media, we would put together this silly video and show it in the morning. Um, and that was always something that um, I love getting to do. Um, you know, I don't know how important it was to the night, um, but Cheryl always um, made a point of kind of recognizing that gift in me and encouraging to, you know, share that. To trust a, you know, junior high or high schooler to make something gives you the confidence to know that, you know what, this is something that I'm good at and can make a career out of it. That gift can be used for, for good. Um, to tell other people's stories, to encourage them to, um, you know, make a difference in the world. Over the last couple of years, like, I've, I've just felt that conviction, like, is, is there a way that I can give, that I can give back? Cheryl's been on my social media for years and always just kind of followed, you know, Clubhouse over the years because it's been a great ministry and it just, um, that connection was, was made and I'm like, huh, I could, What's their website like? Um, and um, decided to reach out and just offer my services to, to you know, Clubhouse um, to just improve that online experience for them. Investing in in kids is is always going to pay off in some way or fashion. You may not recognize it for 20 or 30 years, um, and may not get a call of you know, hey, can I help you with your website um, for a, for a while, but. Uh, pays dividends hugely in their life because they, they, they grow up with the belief that what they're doing matters. Yeah. This is what it means to live a legacy. And so talk to us about your beginning to step out of this role and move on to your next. So talk us, to us a little bit about that. Well, some of you might not have heard, but I don't know if the word retirement is retirement is the right term, but I have been um, feeling the nudges of God in the last few years, and I'm approaching 60. I know I look really young, but you do. I, you look I great, am kind of slowing down, you know, <laughs> teens keep you active. Um, and I'm more aware of what I can physically do and what I need to do to, to sustain Clubhouse into the future. And I just know that God has been pushing and 
uh, opening other doors. And with Lent, even this year, I just had this real call that I need to release. Mm. I need to release. And in that releasing, I've been able to receive some more puzzle pieces for my future purpose. I'm not giving up on Clubhouse. And since I've released a lot of different things that are happening in other people's lives that are pulling together more puzzle pieces for Clubhouse. And if I wouldn't have released, I don't know, you know? Because if it was up to me, I would have been the Clubhouse director for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't leave. I wouldn't. But for the organization, I'm, I'm, I'm releasing. And, um, you know, over the last year, I've been consecrated as a deaconess in the United Methodist Church. And so I will be serving in the, in the United Methodist Church for the rest of my life and doing love, service, and justice. And that really excites me. And um, I'm leaning into that. And, you know, Rachel might ask me, well, she did last week, so what are you doing? What are you doing next? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Which is powerful. It is. I don't know. But I have this eerie sense of peace and contentment that those, those answers or those doors will be open because of what God has already provided in my life. And I had 31 years yeah. of blessed ministry, of impacting, was it 8,000 teens, 700 children, excuse me, 7,000 children? and 300 paid interns who are, like you said, making ripples into this world. And not a lot of people get that. Oh my goodness. Let's just praise God for what God has done in and through Cheryl Bender. Yeah. (laughs) So amazing. So friends, are you living fully alive? Question is never, will we die? Of course we're gonna die. The question is, will you live fully alive. Let's pray. Lord God, we surrender our lives to you. We want to live into our purpose, the way that you've created us and made us, God. And so God, we pray for the fire of your Holy Spirit to be poured out on every single one of us. We are offering ourselves to you. We pray this and we claim this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.